We're going to begin tonight by talking about the ministry or the prayer of intercession. Now, in most Pentecostal, charismatic, that, those type of churches, this is a um, ministry that is often seen and heard. In some ecclesiastical churches, this is not much uh, spoken of. In some places it is, but generally speaking, not. But um, I want, one of the things I want to say to begin about it, to begin with, is that this is something that God lays on the heart of people to do, and every believer is a candidate to pray the prayer of intercession. You don't have to have a special calling, nor do you have to have a special position in the church. Every believer can pray prayers of intercession. That's why we want to put a great emphasis on it. Uh, we have several people in this congregation that do intercede quite a bit. They intercede for people. They have an anointing to pray prayers successfully of intercession, and we're so appreciative of that. Uh, it is not an ecclesiastical position. It's a servant position. It's an anointing, perhaps a calling, but specifically an anointing for these individuals to pray for other people. So what do we mean when we say intercede? Here's the definition of it. It means to act as a go-between parties that are unfriendly. In other words, if you have two people and they are not compatible, they're not getting along, and somebody like a mediator begins to work with this one and work with this one to resolve the conflict. And you see the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He is our intercessor. Why? Because we were not in fellowship with God Almighty. We sinned. We were separated since the garden. And we needed somebody that could stand and grab humanity by one hand and the Father's hand and get us together. That's the work of an intercessor. And that's the work that Jesus Christ did for us. And we'll look at scriptures that will indicate that in just a moment. So it means to go between, to intercede on behalf of a person to the other party that they need to be brought together. Now, that definition means this. You can't intercede for yourself. You can pray for yourself, but it's not a prayer of intercession, it's a prayer of petition. You pray for yourself. Now, prayer of intercession is a petition prayer, but it's different in the sense that you're not acting as a go-between of yourself and God because Jesus is that person for us. All right? So an intercessor basically is someone that is praying on behalf or for someone else to God, to Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now let's look at a couple of scriptures here. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27 have this to say. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's Word. How many of us would readily admit there are a lot of times I don't know how to pray as I ought? 
That's probably all of us, right? Sometimes you run upon a situation, you're dealing with a life circumstance. How should I pray? And you know, that's one of the best things to consider before we pray anytime. To, to be led to pray according to the will of God, to the mind of God. We need to know that before we pray. I mean, we can string words together since we've learned how to talk. We can do that, and some of that may be actually a prayer, but if we really want to pray and get results, effective prayers, if we really want to do that, we need to learn to yield to the Holy Spirit. So we don't know how to pray as we ought. Because, and then in that situation, the Spirit of God who lives in us can intercede through us as we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ at that particular time. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. He who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit is interceding for us. The work of intercession is yielding to the Holy Spirit. At any given time, in any given type of prayer, we yield to the Holy Spirit and the Spirit within us, that is the Spirit of God, gives us the ability to know how we should pray, at least through our yieldedness at that moment to the Holy Spirit. And He begins to intercede through us as we accept, express those words of prayer. That is the Spirit at work in us. Now, King James uses a word there. I'm, I'm re, I just read that out of the New King James. But the 1611, King James used the word of groaning. And because of that, some people in intercession think you're not actually interceding unless you're groaning. You say, well, that, really? Yeah, really, really. We, we've uh, been down that road before. And... Uh, now, am I saying something bad or negative about it? No, I'm just simply saying you don't have to groan to intercede. All right? You don't have to be over here, oh, oh, I feel the pain, I must be interceding. No, you can be very calm and intercede because it's not the physical reaction or the emotions we feel, it's a yieldingness to the Holy Spirit that is true intercession. Okay? That's pretty, that's pretty simple, isn't it? Now, can people groan? Yeah, you can. But that's not intercession. That's a reaction. Intercession is the work of the Holy Spirit that's within that's allowing us to express the mind of God about whatever it is that we're interceding about. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. He's talking about Jesus here, the context. Who is at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. Give you another one. Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by Him because He lives to make intercession for them. Now the work of Jesus on the cross, the work of Jesus at the right hand of the Father is intercessory in nature. Now sometimes we have built a whole theology about what Jesus does at the right hand of the Father and it's real sketchy. I have read books in recent times where uh, people have come up with all sorts of ideas based on very little scripture. 
that would say, well, Jesus is sitting there and He's reminding the Father about every person. Remember, Father, that... And, and they got this whole theology built on all of this. And that, you don't have much Scripture for that. That's pretty, that's pretty sketchy. Well, when it says He's at the right hand of the Father and He's making intercession, what's He doing? The fact that He is seated there guarantees that the work of redemption has been complete. When Jesus completed His work, what did He do? He sat down. It's done. Redemption is provided. He don't have to do anything else to provide it. It's done. He's seated there because His work as an as a Savior and our sacrifice is completed. I don't think he has to be 24-7 saying, Father, remember, there's John. There's Pat. There's Tim. There's Mark. Remember now, Lord, I died for them. I don't think God is forgetful. Do you think God's forgetful and has to be reminded of all this? I don't think He does. No, Jesus is sitting there in a position, the job is finished. And I don't think we have to make any more out of it really than that. Isaiah 53 verse 12, again about Jesus. He's poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He, bears, he, he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. In other words, the whole work of Jesus on the cross, burial, resurrection, ascension, was a work of intercession. We were sinners. We were going the wrong way. God's a holy God. He demands justice. He demands righteousness. He demanded a sacrifice. Jesus paid the price. He did all of that for us. And all of that redemptive work was His intercession for us. And now, where are we seated? We're seated in heavenly places with Christ. That's our position. We are enjoying the benefit of Jesus' intercession for us today in this life now. Isn't that great? Because you see, you, you and I, in our sinfulness, we couldn't qualify to approach a holy God. We couldn't. We needed somebody to do it for us. There was only one person in all of God's creation that qualified, and He did it. And now, because of His intercessory work, we are children of God, righteous, holy, set apart, have access to God Himself. And we stand before God, not in our righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are clothed in His righteousness. Now, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 7, verse 16, intercession does not nullify personal responsibility. So, well, if somebody, if I can just intercede some, for somebody, that means that they won't have to, uh, you know, reap anything they've sown. That doesn't necessarily mean that. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. There's a part of that in human existence. Now, are there times when, because of prayer and repentance, that somebody who's done certain things and they should have bad things happen to them and it doesn't because somebody prayed? Yes, that does happen many times. But that person is still 
according to the scripture I'm about to read to you, there is a personal responsibility involved in this. Let me read it. Jeremiah 7, 16. So do not pray for this people, nor offer any plea or petition for them. So do not plead with me, for I will not listen to you. This was a time in Jeremiah's uh, situation with the Israelites that God told him, don't intercede for them. Don't intercede for them, because I'm not going to listen to you. In other words, what they had sown, they had to reap it. And God wasn't going to permit Jeremiah to intercede on their behalf to try to change God's mind. I told you the first session we had here, over the years there's been, particularly here at New Life a few years ago, there were some people that we were praying for healing for, for cancer. And we had prayed numerous times, had special prayer. Various people had prayed for all three of these. And um, the Lord told me, don't pray for them anymore. I'm not going to heal them. And the reason he wasn't going to heal them, he said, they don't have faith. They're not believing. They're not trusting. He didn't say they were lost. He said he wasn't going to heal them. And so, and he said, in fact, within six months, they'll all be dead. And they were. And I did all three funerals. I did the last one two weeks before the six months was up. And if I, some of you that have been around here for a while, if I were to tell you the names, you'd remember them. But I won't. But uh, my point is this. You know, there is a certain responsibility that we all possess with our own actions and belief systems. And so there's times that God may allow somebody to intercede and kind of get you out of that situation. There are other times he says, no, I'm not going to do that right now. So we are responsible for it. Now, the purpose of intercession is to bring the will of God into existence. To participate with God to bring His will into existence. Remember, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Matthew 6.10. Praying the will of God is the work of the intercessor. To pray the will of God, to pray it biblically, to pray the will of God, to declare what God's word says about that situation in that person's life that they need. That's why we need to know what the Word of God says so we know how to pray the promises and provisions of the Word when we're praying for somebody else. All right? Now, let me, let me give you another illustration. I'm not, don't anybody need to raise their hand about, on this. But have you ever heard anybody pray or have you prayed yourself and then realized it later? You're praying for somebody to be healed and you say, Lord, oh God, I want to, I want to see John healed. Lord, I just, I just beg you, Lord, to heal John. And if it be thy will, Lord, heal John. Now, every time we hear that, you know what that tells me? That person doesn't know what the will of God is. If they did, why would they say, if it be thy will? I mean, if you know what the will of God is, you don't have to add that phrase to it. You only add that phrase to it when you don't know what His will is. Well, how do we find out what His will is? It's in Scripture, all right? And in addition to that, the Holy Spirit can illuminate Scripture to us, some passage in its context to let us know this is applicable to this particular situation right here that you're praying about. So now we're solid. We're on the Word of God. We have the promises of the Word of God. And we have the leadership of the Holy Spirit to pray this particular thing that's in the Word 
for that person. All right? There's a really, really, really good possibility that person is going to receive that. So the purpose for intercession is to pray God's will into existence. It's to act as a go-between, to act as a priest on somebody else's behalf. And the best way we can pray the will of God into existence is to declare what the Word of God says. Declare it. Know it and declare it. Again, Matthew 6.10, Sermon on the Mount. Thy will be done as on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's a prayer, yes, but it's a declaration. See, we want the kingdom of God to come into greater manifestation than we see it today. Does God want that? He does. He does. Does God want His will to be done on earth today just like it is in heaven? He does. But you and I have a part to play in it. Not just certain people in a position or ecclesiastical position or special calling, but every believer can participate in this. Declaring the promises of the Word of God. Now Moses, as Pastor Tim had alluded to a couple of Sundays ago, in Exodus 32 is a good example of this. The Apostle Paul is a good example of this. I'm going to read you a passage here in the book of Romans chapter 9, verse 1, 2, and 3. Paul said, I tell, you, uh, tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience uh, also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. That's the attitude of the intercessor. An intercessor can become so uh, anointed, so burdened as it were, for a particular situation or person that they have literally this disposition. Remember, that's what Moses did, Exodus 32. He said, Lord, if you can't do this for them, then just take my name out. That's what Paul is saying right here in the New Covenant. I'm willing to die, to give up my life, to see my countrymen saved and right with God. That's really feeling in the Spirit the plan and purpose of God for the people that He's praying for. And you can find other passages in chapter 10 there. In verse 1 is another one about that. Stephen, while being stoned, in Acts chapter 7 in verse 60, said this, do not charge them with this sin. King James, do not lay this to, to their account. Do not. Jesus, in the book of Luke 23, 34, He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Those are prayers of intercession. And in both cases, or all three cases, Jesus, Paul, and Stephen, shows us the right attitude that one has or can have while they're truly interceding for somebody else. Now, you may think, well, I've never, I'm not sure I've ever gotten to the place that I'd be willing to be separated from God to see somebody else benefited. And maybe you have, but maybe you haven't realized you have. Maybe you haven't 
Or maybe you have, but you haven't compared it to what Stephen or Paul or Moses was doing when they prayed with that sincerity. But it is important that we learn to be an intercessor. Remember that we're interceding on behalf of someone else for other people. We're not interceding. We can pray a petition prayer, and I'll get to that next week for yourself, how to do that. But if it's intercession, it's for somebody else's benefit, not for your own. All right? So here it is. You've got a situation. You're concerned about it. It's an individual. It's a, it's a situation. And we want to bring the will of God into that situation. You know some scripture that relates to it. And you have an impetus, perhaps an anointing, an encouragement to start praying for that person or that situation. And from experience, I've learned that sometimes the Holy Spirit gets involved with you and gives you the the anointing of the Spirit, a special, specific anointing as you're praying. And you can come to the point to where I know it's done. I know it's done. You maybe have not seen any outward change, but you know it's done because there's a witness of the Holy Spirit. His Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God, but that's not all the Holy Spirit does. That's basically the first thing he does when an individual is born again. He bears witness, yes, you're a child of God. But after that, that is a continuous thing that goes on. And one of the best ways to see that revealed is when you're interceding. And after you've prayed the prayer of faith and you've interceded, then the Holy Spirit can say on the inside of you, yeah, it, it's okay now. You're okay. It's done. I could give you testimony after testimony about this. And not from myself. I was raised in a Christian home. My father and mother were believers. And uh, I've been raised in church since I was two, three weeks old. Three times a week at least. Sometimes more than that. But uh, situations have arisen where prayer was needed. I mean serious prayer. Give you one illustration. My oldest sister, she and her husband lived in uh, um, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. They had two, two sons. The older boy was perhaps four years old, thereabouts. The younger one was about two. And uh, he had a habit of sticking things up his nose. You've probably heard about kids that do things like that. Well, one, one day he stuck a peanut up his nose, and they thought they got it out. And they did get, as it turns out, a good portion of it out. But he swallowed it, and it did not go down like it's supposed to. It went into his lung. He aspirated the peanut into the lung. They did not know about it. A couple of days later, he's running a high fever, 105 degrees. They rush him to the hospital. She hauled back down to Kentucky to uh, my brother who lived just 100 yards from where we lived. And... Uh, we did not have a phone. He did. She called him and said, tell mom and dad, everybody, that Jeff is, uh, the doctors say, we got to stop this fever. If he goes any higher, you know, it's going to fry his brain and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was a bad situation. And so when they, he, they came to our house and told my father and mother about that, my dad said, you call the family and everybody, we're going to pray. 
it, well, I don't know, it was like an hour later or something, whatever that the time was, like at five o'clock or something. We're going to pray. Have everybody pray. So I remember everybody, we got those in our house at that time and the other family members got together and everybody was praying for Jeff. Within two hours, she called back and she said the fever has gone down to normal. And he started, he had a coughing spell and he coughed up a whole bunch of junk out of his lung. He had already gotten it, he'd gone into pneumonia within two days. And he coughed that stuff out and they sent him home the next day. And that two-year-old boy that was good at sticking stuff up his nose is like 58 years old now and has a family of his own. Now, my point is, what do you do? You pray. When, you, when there's nothing else you can do, you pray. Yes, but that's not the only time we intercede that way. But usually that's the time when we get most motivated. You, when you've tried everything else and just nothing is working, well, we really get serious then about praying. Perhaps... If we got a little bit more serious in the beginning, we might not find ourselves in that position, but we all do from time to time. I have a whole bunch of stories like that. Well, we saw God answer prayer. Give you one more before I go on to the next section. My oldest brother was an alcoholic for 25 years. I mean, a really, really bad one. Came out of WW2 that way. And... Uh, uh, this went on for years. He was married and had three daughters, and he was always in trouble, in jail, whatever. Pretty soon he got um, um, a really bad ulcer. So bad that the doctor told him that your entire inside of your stomach is one big ulcer. He could not stand to have any food in his, in his stomach until he first took a drink of whiskey to null, make numb the nerves in the stomach. In fact, in the veterans hospital, they'd give him a drink of whiskey before they, he could eat food. At uh, one particular time, again, my father, who was a prayer warrior, and he called the whole family together at the church and said, we're going to pray for Luther. The doctors have said, you know, nothing we're doing is working. Now, he wasn't right with God. So we were praying for his salvation, but then we were praying for his healing. And so we prayed, and we prayed. And after about an hour and a half, my father, who was kneeling around the front, he stood up and said, my, my, wife, my mother's name was Eva, but my dad called her Effie. It was her nickname. To, he called her Effie. Let's go home. It's okay. God's heard our prayer. And... and the rest of us, we were kneeling around the front too, but I didn't feel anything about that. And he said, no, God's heard our prayer. We can go home now. So we go home. We discovered the next day, at the very time we were praying for him, the chaplain of the Veterans Hospital in Lexington had walked into his room and started talking to my brother, shortened the story, ended up leading him to the Lord, and this guy was not a spirit-filled Christian. He was a Christian, but he didn't know anything about deliverance or 
casting demons out or praying for the sick. He just led him to the Lord. And not only did my brother get born again, but he got instantaneously healed. I mean, the ulcer was instantaneously healed. The next morning, you know, the nurse comes in and says, what would you like to have for breakfast? And he said, well, I feel so good today. I believe I'll have bacon and eggs and toast and, and coffee and juice. And he had never eaten like that for months. And he ate every bit of it, did not drink his whiskey, and everything was fine. In a few days, they sent him home. A changed person. Now, I believe it all went back when the family was interceding for him. I believe that was what allowed all of that to happen. So that's the work of the intercessor. Now, quickly, I want to move on to another phase of this. We could go on and on about that. But I want to move into praying in the Spirit. I like to pray in the Spirit, praying in my prayer language. In fact, I do at least 90% of my praying that way. And the reason I do is because I know when I pray that way, it's not me, it's the Spirit of God in me that is allowing this to happen. See, when I pray in English and when you pray in English, the brain gets involved in this. And our brain isn't capable of knowing everything that our spirit already knows. See, you're in my spirit knows things that our brain haven't even caught up with yet. Why? Because we got the Spirit of God living in our spirit. And the Spirit of God knows what the mind of God is. And so if we can somehow pray out of that Spirit where the Holy Spirit lives, you can pray more effectively, more powerfully, and more, see more things done. So we, we need to use our prayer language more than perhaps we do. Now, tongues is a language of 1 Corinthians 13.1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, so it could be both. On the day of Pentecost, you had particular languages that were spoken by those 17 nationalities of people that had gathered for the feast of Pentecost. 17 there. And they, the scripture will say, and they all heard the disciples speak in their own language. So where there was a miracle of speaking, there was a miracle of understanding without a human interpreter. So, my point in all that is, you can speak in tongues. It's a, it's a language that you have not studied, you do not know. It's not native to you in any way, shape, form, or fashion. For example, if I were suddenly to start speaking in Swahili, that'd be a miracle. You know why? Because I don't know a word of Swahili. In Spanish, I know agua and baño. <laughs> those, those are good ones, right? Necessary ones, right? That is just about my Spanish. And I know we oui and merci in French. That's about it. Beyond that, if I start speaking in some other language, it'd be a miracle. I've not studied it, don't know it. And yet, Sometimes I have prayed in various languages that I later recognized and was able to pinpoint what language they actually were from what country. I found myself praying in, in, in some form of Chinese on various occasions. I don't know the first word in Chinese, 
but I was able to go back and listen. So when that sounded like, and look it up and come to find out it was, it was a Chinese language. I've done that with American Indians. What am I saying? I'm saying the Spirit of God can allow you, can give you the ability to speak angelic languages or human languages that you haven't studied and don't know, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So, in the book of Acts, particularly, you see the word dialect, which is normally translated language, dialectos is a Greek word, and the word glossa, which is the word that we call speaking in tongues, which is a language of men or angels that is not known, has not been studied, and it's given supernaturally. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, and began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit gives the utterance, the ability to speak, but you have to cooperate and speak. That's simple, isn't it? He gives you the what to say, the language, but you and I have to cooperate and speak and use it. Allow it to flow out. So you can use a prayer language. Now, the thing about uh, using a prayer language, you can use it in any other method of praying. For example, you can have a prayer of praise. You can do that in your known language or you can do it in your prayer language. You can have a prayer of intercession. Works either way. You can have a personal prayer of petition. You can do it both ways. You can have a prayer of whatever and you can do it in your known language and you can do it in the spirit. Either way. You, it's, it's almost as if praying in tongues gives you a lot more latitude and possibilities. It throws open the supernatural realm in a wider way to use that prayer language. So we need to use it. Knowledge and ability is not limited to us. It comes from the human spirit where the Holy Spirit lives. We speak. He gives the utterance. Now, uh, it's very, very important that we become intercessors. Again, it's not a position, it's not a title. You and I are servants of God, but these are things that God anoints and enables us to do to advance His kingdom. What if I intercede for something and I feel like it's going to be done and it didn't get done? Join the crowd. Probably all of us have been there before, right? We learn. We learn. You have to learn to recognize the voice of the Spirit. Sometimes our own desires get mixed in and we think it was God when it wasn't. Our own ideas, our own will may get involved and we think, well, God said this and well, maybe He did and maybe He didn't might be the answer to that. We learn. But again, go back to what we alluded to uh, last week, I believe it was, about how Jesus prayed. You know, He didn't beg God for anything. He knew the mind of the Father and he could pray along that line. He declared things done. He didn't say, Father, would you heal Jairus' daughter? He didn't. He spoke. The centurion's son, he didn't even go where he was. According to your faith, he would say that oftentimes. He spoke and from his speaking, things happened. 
So well, he, he was God. Yes, he was God in the flesh. But he operated in his ministry like a man anointed of the Spirit. He didn't operate in his ministry like God, even though he was God in the flesh. He operated his ministry as a man yielded to the Spirit. As the example for us, because we were never God, we never going to be God. So he had to give us an example that we could relate to, a human being anointed by the Spirit. And that's what Jesus was. So we need to imitate, as it were, him. Now, I'm going to close out by giving you two testimonies. And the first one I want to give you is from my oldest brother, oldest living brother, who is is now 91 years old. He was a pastor for many, many years. He resigned his church at 91. Last year. And I don't remember exactly what month it was. It may have been May or June, something like that. He, I think he had just turned in his resignation, but he continues, and even to this day, he continues doing ministry. He, he works at part-time at two different rest homes as chaplain. When he resigned his church, they heard the people at the rest home heard about it, and they lined him up to come and be their volunteer chaplain. And I tell you, he, he can sell ice to an Eskimo. <laughs> For about 30 years, he was an insurance salesman, very successful one. And then he gradually moved from that to a full-time pastor. But at any rate, so he would had been to the rest homes praying for people that day. Late in the afternoon, he was driving back. He got about a half a mile from his house, going about 50, 55 miles an hour. And he, he sees a lady coming down her driveway, and she didn't stop. She just pulled right out in front of him. He couldn't even tell that she even looked to the left. She just... He remembers hitting his brake, but as he did that, something picked his car up, turned it, and set it down over here. And, it, and you know, you would think this, that if you're going 50, 55 miles an hour and your car goes airborne, when it lands, it's going to bounce Roll, at least roll forward, perhaps even turn over. Nothing like that happened. When it was picked up and set down, when it was set down, it stopped right there. And he said when he realized what had happened, he looks down and the key, the ignition was turned off. We were joking this morning to, when the pastors were praying, I told the guys that story. And we could imagine there being an angel said, okay, you get the car, I'll get the key. <laughs> now, this, this guy, so my brother's a great guy. He doesn't speak in tongues. He did believe angels do are involved in human life because he knows enough of the scripture to know that. But uh, he's not spirit-filled in the same way that you and I would think and talk of it. But God did that for him. Spared his life. Their cars never touched. Nobody got hurt. And when she finally realized, I think she saw part of this out of the corner of her eye, when she finally realized that and stopped and jumped out of her car and ran back and saw my brother said, oh James, are you alright? Are you alright? He said, yeah, I'm alright. Are you okay? They realized that was supernatural. That was a miracle. 
Only way to explain that, that's a miracle. Car's going out, pulls out right to you, you hit. Or you try to swerve and end up in the ditch over there or something. Your car doesn't just suddenly go shh, shh, shh. Doesn't happen like that, naturally. That's a divine intervention. That happened last year. I want to give you one that happened about five or six weeks ago for myself. Some of you already know about this. December the 26th, I woke up, it was um, Sunday morning, I woke up about 3.30, go to the bathroom, and I, I felt different. I felt a little bit shaky. It's like I, I just didn't feel right. And there, it's dark, so I can't see much. And uh, I'm going back to bed, and I thought something is just wrong. So I got back in bed and I prayed for almost an hour. And I was able, suddenly I realized, you know, I look over to the clock, and we have a digital clock that's on on the table on my side of the bed, and I could look at it and it looked fuzzy. The digits are, are red. And it looked fuzzy. So I closed my left eye and looked at it. Oh, it was terrible. And I closed my right eye and looked at it out of my left eye, and it was all clear. So something's wrong with this. And then I would look around. I could see light coming through the window and through the blinds, and I did the same thing. I could check my eyes out. I was seeing double, triple vision. And so I know that's a TIA possibility or stroke possibility. So I checked myself out, you know, to see if I could stick my tongue out, see if I could wink. And I could wink. And um, I felt, you know, all my hands were working. There's no numbness. There's no pain. There's no head pain anywhere. I couldn't find anything wrong with me. So I laid there and prayed, as I said, almost an hour. Finally, it wasn't getting better. So I, I woke Debbie and I said, I think you need to take me to the emergency room. And um, I, I don't think I've had a stroke, but, you know, I, I know enough medically to know if you have one, you need to be there because there's a shot they can give you within three hours that will mitigate much of the effects of the stroke. So we need to go. So she took me. We got there at 5 o'clock. So they came in and asked 9,312 questions, which I got asked by seven different people throughout the day. What's your name? You know. What, why are you here? Blah, 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 all that. So I answered all those questions. So the next thing they did, they came in, gave me a COVID test. They said, have you, do, have you, have you had COVID-19? No. Have you been around somebody that had? No. Well, we're going to give you the test. Okay. So they gave me the test. Two hours later, they come back and say, you're negative. Well, not only was it for COVID-19, it was for 19 other viruses. 20 viruses and all, and I didn't have any of them. Thank you, Jesus. So then they said, okay, the doctor wants to uh, do a CT scan. Okay. Send me down, do a CT scan. Came back after about an hour, just laying there in the bed. They came back and said, well, they didn't show anything abnormal. Now he wants to do another one, but this time they're going to put the dye in your arm, you know, the contrast. They take me back down, do the other one, bring me back, hour or so, they come back and said, no, nothing unusual about that. So now he wants to do an MRI. They send me down, do the MRI, bring me back, finally get the report on that, nothing abnormal. Now he wants to send you one with the MRI and the contrast. 
go down, lay there in a little tube like this for 30 minutes, and uh, they roll me back to the room. After about an hour or so, he comes back. Nothing abnormal. Well, we got one more thing we're going to do. Since you've had bypass surgery, you know, you've had heart, uh, we're going to do an echocardiogram. Okay? I mean, what am I going to say? I'm in the bed just laying there. And uh, so they, the guy came in. He did that. And, of course, he, he wouldn't tell me anything. He told me coming in. said, I'm not going to answer any questions about this. I'm not allowed to tell you anything. Okay. That's fine. So he did the echocardiogram. And then they released me and let me go home. Now, throughout the day, as the day wore on, and I'm laying in bed and, uh, you know, just laying there, um, I noticed I was seeing better. Instead of seeing tr double and triple, it's not as bad as it was. When the, one of the doctors was, was, came in while Debbie was in there with me, and he would hold his finger out, said, okay, now follow my finger. Don't move your head, but follow my finger. And when he would go to the right, this eye would follow him as well as the left one. But when he would go to my left, my left eye would go, but my right eye would remain straight ahead. So I had eyes going like this. That's why I was seeing d double and triple. But as the day went on, it gradually got, they'd come in every once in a while and do that, it gradually got where both eyes were now in sync. They would go back and forth. When they finally released me, I was about 80% cleared up, except right down here, lower right quadrant. It was all fuzzy. Everything else is clear but this. So they released us to go home, got in the car, got home. You know, we lived, what, seven or eight miles from Baptist East Hospital. Got home, got out, go in the house. I'm checking it out, doing my eyes, looking at lights, moving around. This was all gone. The neurologist told me, he said, well, you need to um, check with your optometrist or ophthalmologist and let them check it out because they can do a scan that maybe might be clearer than ours. I said, okay. So the following week, I went and got a test. And the doctor came back in. He said, I can't find anything wrong with your eyes. Um, he said, actually, your vision is improved since July, which the July of 2021 was the last time that I've been in for my annual checkup. He said, that when we did that check, your vision is better than it was then. But thank you, Jesus. Why am I saying? I'm saying because of prayer. There was people in this church, Tim mentioned it that Sunday morning, that I had been taken to the hospital. Possible stroke. There's people praying. We were praying. But prayer brought forth healing. So before I left, the last doctor I got to speak to, I said, okay, he said, you definitely did not have a stroke. I said, okay. What happened? What did I have? He said, well, our best guess is maybe there was some inflammation on the optic nerve. A couple of weeks ago, George Nobile, our doctor that sits right over here where Pat is, uh, he's an emergency room doctor. So I explained this to George, and I, I said, George, if I was in your emergency room and, and you did all those tests on me, what would have been, I hadn't told him what they said. I said, what would your, you couldn't find anything else wrong with me, what would you 
think it might be. He said probably inflammation on the optic nerve. Either that or cranial nerve three and six, which have to do with the eyes on either side of the head. And he said probably, but probably more, you know, inflammation. I said that's exactly what that doctor said. They couldn't find any reason for anything else, but it's probably inflammation. That now cleared up. But how about that inflammation clearing up within a matter of hours? Right. Yep. Yep. So when they got ready to release me, a lady came in with a wheelchair and said, you want to ride this wheelchair out? And I said, I walked in, I'll walk out. <laughs> she said, okay. <laughs> so, well, why, why do I want them to push me out? I'm fine, right? I guess I'm stubborn too, but... <laughs> oh, my. I say that... that that is a testimony of answered prayer. Not just ours, but a lot of you folks were praying that day. A lot of people were praying. And uh, God hears the prayer of faith. He hears the prayers of the righteous. He hears and responds to prayer when people are praying the word of God. So Father, teach us to pray. May we comprehend the relevancy of prayer. How to pray biblically, effectively. How to pray your will to be done and accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you for each person here and those that may be hearing this later. We declare, Lord, that we grasp what your word says. And we give you thanks. Amen.